welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. Jeff and I both got better on this episode as we're bringing back mental performance coach and resilience expert, Matt Calderoni. And this was an awesome episode. Jeff and I have both worked pretty extensively with Matt on a couple different projects. He's an awesome, awesome guy. We dive into mental toughness. We dive into a lot of stuff that I think are going to make a lot of people better from this one. Uh, but before we do get over to Matt, let's bring on another awesome guy in the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's up today, man? In the left corner. Standing at six foot two, 212 pounds of twisted steel and sex appeal. <laughs> What's up? Me? <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah, I got a funny story. I don't know if I've told this yet on the podcast, but uh, when we were playing in the USHL way back in the day, and you remember how central scouting used to always come and they would like take our heights and weights measurements and everything. Yep. Of course. So I was telling some of the kids, like, I met, I met a bunch of the kids here in Chicago right now. And I was telling them the story literally this afternoon. <laughs> and so central scouting comes in. And for those who don't know what central scouting is, they're basically the service that a bunch of the NHL teams use that go around and they scout everybody and anybody uh, around the world. And they put out this report and then the teams either use that or they don't use that to help form their opinions on who they need to go see and yada, yada, yada. So um, central scouting comes in, they do the heights, they do the weights and every kid in the league is going into the locker room to do it. And I go into the locker room to get my height taken <laughs> and they have, you know, the tape of the ruler tape that's taped up against the wall and it starts at five, six. Like that's the lowest it goes is five foot six. So I go and I stand uh, where everybody's supposed to stand with the tape ruler right there. And I'm, I don't even hit five, six. I'm not even close. <laughs> and so the guy just looks at me, he goes, We'll give you five six. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so five six in the program ever since. So that's that was, a win. That was very nice. That was a big win for me. That's a huge win. I love that. Whoever that guy is, what a beauty. I know. Um, okay, so I'm very interested because pre episode here, when Vex and I were just kind of catching up before we pressed record, he said he had a question for me. And I, and he didn't want to tell me the question before we started this. So what do you got for me? He said, it's going to elicit some, some, some emotion or some feelings. So what do you got? Well, you know, tryouts are going on right now. And I wanted to ask you how you as a coach and person handle like one of the guys who like one of your favorite players, like we all have favorite players, like they were rooting for because they work so hard and they show up on time and they're good people and they're good teammates. Like how, how, how do you handle when one of them gets cut from a team and you know, what do you say to them? Like that's so hard. Honesty. I think that's the only thing you can do. Right. Is, is just be honest with them. If you give them a load of crap, then they don't know what they need to do to get better so they can make it the next year. 
you know, so you have the honest conversation with them, tell them exactly why they didn't make the team. Uh, it could be as simple as there were 12 forwards that just were better than you here. And you were right on, on the line. You were the last one cut, or it could be, Hey, you got a long way to go and you got a lot of work to do. Uh, I think the follow-up to that too, is to help them find another place to play so they can get better, you know, find them uh, a good coach to play for. So eventually they can get better and maybe make the team that next year. Those conversations suck. Like there's no sugarcoating it. That's, that's never an easy thing to do. Um, But at the end of the day, I think as a coach, the best thing that you can do for a kid when you're cutting them is to be honest with them. Uh, If you lie to them or if you try to make them feel better um, without the honesty part, I don't think you're doing the kid, uh, any good so that's that's what i got for you that was a good answer all right i like it <laughs> thank I you dig it. i know it's just that. you know it's hard tryouts are hard and uh, there, there was a kid we were talking today about something and uh, he's an older guy he's almost college he's college age and he was saying how oh well this coach should have been loyal to him he played for him for like four years it doesn't matter you know and like that just kind of those tough conversations like that, that that's going on but we can't allow that and it's just hard when you got to cut a kid who's gives it his all and he's just like the 13th forward or something yeah it's tough yeah, it's yeah there's no no question about it but at the end of the day like i said you have to be honest and if you care about the kid you need to be honest with them um it's difficult but it's it must be done it must be done. <laughs> it's kind of like straight out of a movie that I don't even know, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so I, it is tryouts time right now for some, some parts uh, around the country and uh, I'll, I'll flip this one to you. And I, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but if there's kids listening to this, what is some advice that you have for kids going into tryouts? Um, be the best you and don't try to be somebody else. I think too many times, people go into tryouts, kids go to tryouts and they think like, Oh, I got to score a bunch of goals. But like if you're not a goal scorer, like why you're showcasing things that you don't do and you're probably not as good at that. Like, cause you focus your, your game on other things. Like I've just be the best you, whatever that means. And, and don't be nervous because if you're, if you make it, you know, you deserve to be there. And if you don't like, hopefully they tell you what you need to work on so that you can try and get there next year. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing is, just compete. You have to compete, compete for all your loose pucks, compete for all your battles, compete to get to the hard areas. Uh, I would like, if I'm coaching, I'm watching tryouts. I, I, I don't take kids that won't compete anymore. It just, I want to coach kids that have a passion for the game. And if you don't compete, I don't think you have a passion for the game. I don't think you love it. So I, I just think that's a, a one B to what you're talking about. Um, and that's actually the, what your answer of what you said is trying not to be somebody that you're not. We talked a lot about that nice little segue with Matt on, uh, on this podcast. And, uh, I, I questioned him a little bit uh, on some of the things he questioned me a, couple, a little bit on some of those things in terms of, um, what he thinks in terms of bringing an alter ego. Uh, and I loved 
everything that he said about the alter ego and you guys will listen to it when we get on there. And I pushed him on it a little bit um, because one of the things that we talk about is being, again, like we said, bringing the best version of you. And he talked about having an alter ego, which is a little bit different than that. And, uh, but he's awesome, man. This was such a freaking amazing episode. I think it's an episode that made me a lot better and gave me a lot of perspective on a lot of the things that's going on in my life right now, both work-related and life-related. And it just, uh, it hit home on a lot of different things. Yeah. I love this guy. I love how he thinks. I love like how he likes, how passionate he is about helping guys from the mental side like he's, I talked to this guy quite a bit and he's, he's so passionate about helping guys and he like really cares about his clients. You can totally tell. And, uh, you know, we have some clients that are my clients or his clients and talking about them, trying to give me advice on how to help them in the best way possible based on their like personality traits or something. Like he's just, he's very intuitive. He's very insightful. And, uh, I really like what he does. Yeah. And I think the listeners are going to absolutely love it. I think they're going to absolutely love this episode. So we should just head on over to them in just a sec. Before we do, we have a huge announcement coming up right now with ice hockey systems. And last week we talked about how they acquired a ton of the hockey think tank content. And the reason why is they came out with, and we partnered up with them to bring about an association platform that is a comprehensive content package that can make literally every single person in an organization and better, whether you are a player, whether you're a coach or whether you are a parent. And so what you're going to get with this association package is you're going to get access to thousands of drills that have already been on their site and on the hockey think tank site. When we merged uh, all of our content that they acquired from us, you're going to get whiteboard and systems breakdowns from myself and NHL hall of famer, Dennis Savard. What's up? He's a, uh, uh, obviously one of the smartest hockey players of all time for all the parents that are listening to this, they'll remember him. The kids probably have no idea who he is, but he is, uh, you know, one of the top players in the 1980s. Fantastic. Was an NHL head coach with the Chicago Blackhawks before Joel Quenville took over. Uh, you get drill drawing software where you can actually go in and draw drills and, and you can make this library of all of your drills that you can send to all of your coaches, all of your players, even before practices. And so you can send the practice plan. You're prepared, ready to go. The kids know what to expect. You can send it out to everybody. And then what you're also getting too, is you're getting the hockey think tank parent survival guide. So we gave uh, ice hockey systems, a parent survival guide to give out in this association platform, because um, again, it's not just in youth hockey, making the players better. It's about making the coaches better. And it's about educating the parents about what this whole youth hockey racket is about. And so we've gotten so much unbelievable feedback from this parent survival guide. And so you get this with the association platform. So go to icehockeysystems.com and look for the association uh, tab on their website. And uh, it's such a low cost, high value um, product that you're getting from them that will literally, I think it can transform organizations and bring them to the next level. And so go there. We put so much work into this and uh, I just think it's going to be a huge value add for any youth organization out there. Unreal. 
Unreal. Where do they go to buy it? I want to buy it. That sounds sick. <laughs> Just go to icehockeysystems.com and look for IHS for associations, and it gives you everything. It gives you the breakdown, and it's a certain cost for however many teams are within your association. Uh, just a fantastic, fantastic product. Those guys at Ice Hockey Systems, we talk about making an impact and caring so much about the hockey community. They so much align with who we are and what we're doing with the Hockey Think Tank, and uh, we really appreciate this, this little merger and acquisition and uh yeah this is going to be a game changer for any association out there so again go to icehockeysystems.com and pick up this association platform for your organization today boom done <laughs> we also want to thank our title sponsor gel sticks g-e-l-s-t-x dot com go to gelsticks.com to get your weighted training sticks and you are going to get a hockey stick or you can get a lacrosse stick or you can get a golf club i was about to say golf stick but that is not what a golf thingamajigger is it's not <laughs> neighbor, a thing neighbor the accountant huge huge butt huge <laughs> Um, so go to gelsticks.com, use the coupon code think tank one word to get your discount on a weighted training stick. Jeff, you want to handle train heroic here? Yeah, thanks to Train Heroic for sponsoring us as well. That's where all my online training programs are. Just got uh another D3 school and uh talked to some more junior teams after our last podcast, so that was pretty cool. Very exciting. So uh, hopefully going to be working with a lot more teams over this next year to help clubs uh, save money and still, you know, have, have quality training as much as they want throughout the year. Yeah, buddy. I like it. And last but certainly not least, thank you to all of our awesome, awesome, awesome listeners. We so appreciate your support for our podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you think it's a value add, uh, for anybody that is in the hockey world, please shoot us a rating on Apple Podcasts or iTunes or wherever get you get your podcast. Uh, shoot us a review. We love the feedback. Uh, we want to get better as well. Also helps to legitimize our podcast. So every review and every rating counts when people go to those pages and they're looking for a hockey podcast to, to download or to get into. The more reviews and, and the more ratings, the better. So if you could take the five seconds uh, after listening to this little intro, just press pause go to your podcast page and just shoot us one of those ratings or reviews that would be fantastic and we so so appreciate all your support man the emails that have been coming in over the last couple weeks i mean i've gotten so 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 many and it's literally from all over the world which is really really cool and the fact that we're making an impact on so many families so many coaches uh it's very very humbling and we so appreciate any feedback that you give to us and uh, you guys are going to absolutely love this podcast episode with Matt Calderoni. His company is called Molitium, and they do a fantastic job. Um, and again, they want to build kids up and he's, uh, he calls himself a resilience coach. And I don't know how many times we've talked about the importance of resiliency and handling adversity on this podcast in my team building that I do. It's the first thing that I talk about with all of the players. And, uh, you guys are going to learn a lot about it on this episode here with Matt. So without further ado, here we go with Matt Calderoni. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He is back for round two, Matt Calderoni. Matt, what's going on? Not much, boys. It's happening. Always, uh, always an absolute pleasure to talk to two legends. 
<laughs> well, I'm excited to have this guy on. I was literally just telling people <laughs> in the gym, uh, calls. I'm not kidding you. Whenever somebody, well, there's very few people in the world now who say they haven't listened to this podcast. <laughs> um, <laughs> but whenever somebody says to me, "Oh, I've never listened to it," I swear to God, I say the number one first podcast I want you to listen to is Matt Calderoni because I think it's the podcast that will help everyone. It doesn't matter whether you're a mom, a dad, a player, a ref, a coach. If you're not in hockey, if you're a businessman, if you're in school and you want to be mm-hmm. successful, I truly believe that your first podcast was the best one we've done and can help the most people. So for any of the listeners who are That's new awesome. and, and they have not heard Matt's first podcast with us, please go back and listen to that one after you listen to this banger of an episode. Wow, that's a pretty yeah, that's awesome. That's a pretty no, you know what, guys? tire pump right there. <laughs> I believe it, man. I believe well, it. I was gonna say, dude, I, I swear to God, I didn't pay him anything under the table for that. So <laughs> it's honest, which is great. <laughs> uh I love it. Well, this is this is good. I, I'm really looking to this forward conversation here, Matt. And you're a mental coach and um a resilience coach. And I just feel like it's time for this kind of conversation right now. Uh Vex and I were talking last week and I was like, you know what? It's time to get Matt back on because just so relevant in the world right now. I, I think the discussion of mental toughness is one that um for me, a lot of the mental toughness conversations that I've had with people, I feel like are a lot of fluff, you know, like there's a lot of fake, a lot of fluff. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I want to have an honest conversation about it, especially for all the kids that are out there, because I think mental toughness is something that we all kind of need right now. It's been obviously a difficult time for a lot of people over the past little bit. And, and it's time to, it's time to really, I don't want to say get over it, but it's time to move on and it's time to really just kind of turn the page and, and get to where we can get to. So, um, you know, for you, I think the first question I have for you is like, how do you define mental toughness? Like what, what is it to you? So it literally, honest to God, guys, like the definition of toughness, it's being able to adapt. Right. And it's like, I don't know where the culture kind of came in of the idea that it had to be something where you're, you know, putting somebody under, let's say extreme amounts of scrutiny. And like, I think people have taken that out of context, like train until you puke. And that's mental toughness. Like that's, that's not mental toughness. It's probably one of the worst things you can do. I don't believe that belittling people is a way to get someone mentally tough. I don't believe that. Like, I think that's the worst thing that I've seen happening as of late. And I think that's like a bit of an old school belief system. I've also seen too, like a lot of the time where people say, well, you're going to, you're going to gain your mental toughness with experience. And it's like, yeah, you will, but that's usually when things are, you know, it's too late and things get salvageable right? Or sorry, unsalvageable. So it's, I think people got to realize like mental toughness is simply having the ability to adapt. It's nothing more than that. Like you can dive into the, into the mental skills and the methodologies of it. That's a, that's a part of it, but the basic root is being able to adapt to adverse situations, right? That's, that's toughness and the mental ability to do so it's shifting your focus onto one thing to another. I love that definition of it. And and I think there's so much merit to it. Like the ability to adapt, especially when things like we all think and hope that our life goes in this one direction. And it's just this linear line from a, yep. point a to point B. And the reality of life mm-hmm. is that, that never happens. <laughs> that never happens. No. <laughs> there's so many ups and downs. And a lot of times those ups and those downs 
come at unexpected times. So how are you able to react to those situations, especially when they're in, in times of stress? And mm-hmm. I, I just, th- that definition, man, like I never really thought of it like that so succinctly, but I just, yeah. that's probably the best, honestly, um, definition that I've heard. Well, you got to think of it too, right? Like there's so many, I think people mix up how many different tools there are and they, they forget that it's a tool like breathing, right? Like this is one we see all the time. And, you know, for example, us as a brand, we're all about helping people discover their true potential through resilience. And we consider it to be a lifestyle, not just a mental skill, because to us, a lifestyle is consistent. A mental skill is temporary. Now you need both. You need habits and a skill. But the thing is, is like a lot of people will mix up like, oh, well, you know, breathing is the way to get through the situation. True. That's that's one skill to do it. Um, so is also, though, shifting your focus or what a lot of people say perspective. So is, you know, taping, taking a mental step back in your mind and letting it flow through you. These are all tools. But like if we're looking at understanding truly how to adapt, I think what people have to realize is that it really is like a holistic approach. And Vex, we were talking about this before, too. Like, you know, we, when a great example is an off season. Okay. So at the heart and root of, of resilience or mental toughness, how you want to define it is having something that you are going to adapt to and realizing that life is as a whole, it's got this cycle, right? And it starts as a commitment that you make towards something that you want. And then realizing that there's always going to be an inevitable period of adaption. That's all it is, right? And it's 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 having the humility to understand that adaption is going to be there. And it's like we say to pros all the time that we work with, or even kids trying to make it. Like, it's really not that the most absolute talented make the top level, and it's no disrespect to them. It's a simple idea that some you know guys or gals hit that point of adversity and they were really really good, but decided they didn't want to adapt and they took a different path. Then you have the ones that maybe weren't as super high end talented but we're willing to work through it and adapt and they end up making it. So it's this idea that we call to like, I'm sure there's a lot of other names to it, but we know what I'm all a team is being realistically optimistic where there's no fluff behind the idea of understanding. Like we're not going to sit there and say, Oh, you're, you're always going to go through a tough time. It's Hey, there's a possibility that crap won't go the way that you want it to. You got to be optimistic about it. And you got to realize like, it's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. They actually did a cool study with these top chefs and um, you know, chefs are a very interesting topic for the mental game, especially because you think about it. If anybody's ever seen like hell's kitchen or Gordon Ramsay, there's immense amounts of pressure and that's real in that industry. Right. And they they did this study where with some chefs that were first on the line, they went and told them like, Hey, you know what? It's going to go perfect tonight. It's going to be great. You're going to be awesome. It's going to be fine, which is often what we see a lot of people do. Those chefs went in and then they ran them against another test group in a B group. And the B group, they had these chefs and they basically said, hey, here's a potential of what could go down tonight. It's going to be hectic. It's going to be raw. It's going to be tough. And you're going to be going through a lot of things where your sous chef might not get you something on time and you're going to have to keep your cool. And then you're going to have some rounds where it's going to be great and it's going to be perfect. You got to realize something. You have the skills that you can adapt to it. Go with it tonight. The chefs in that B group did overwhelmingly better in their first night of open And the night didn't even go close to perfect. It's the exact same thing with life and understanding, right? It's like, this is realistically what's going to happen, but you need to be optimistic that you have the skills to figure it out and you'll be fine. So it's having that humility to understand it and realize too that 
you don't need it to be perfect. Like it's, it's just, it's not realistic. So that's how we kind of treat it when we look at it from a, a holistic side. Vex, there's, there's been a couple times during the 160 whatever episodes that we've been doing this, that my doors have been blown off. Um, like that phrase realistically optimistic is one that uh, like it blew my doors off. And, and I'm speaking from personal experience here too, because I mean, you know me well enough, Matt, we've worked together, Vex, you obviously mm-hmm. know me well enough. I'm very much an all or nothing kind of person. It's, I think it could be one of my strengths and I think it could be one of my weaknesses. There's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows and I try as best as I can to stay in between the lines when things are going really well or when things aren't going very well. And I think that idea of being realistically optimistic when it comes to my own life and me reflecting right now, maybe on the therapist couch is like, that's such a great (laughs) kind of theme for me to live my life on because, you know, when something goes wrong, it's not so much, Oh God, the world is falling and I have to fix everything. And and I got to put in 90 hours a week to, to make sure that happens. It's like, okay, no, something went wrong. Let's be realistic about it. Things are going wrong. That's okay. And then just like you said, with that experiment that it, with the chefs, I mean, all right, you, you actually do have the tools to, to be able to do it. But, you know, sometimes in stressful situations, we get, we get out of our own head and out of our own mind and it's crazy. Totally. But realistically optimistic, I think is such a profound saying that I am going to literally if I was Jeff, I'd be tattooing this on my body. <laughs> um, maybe I'll just write it down in my notebook because my wife doesn't want me to get any tattoos. But <laughs> uh, what do you think about that, Vex? I mean, I think that's unbelievable. And I think people <laughs> listening to this will, will really resonate with that too. Yeah, because, you know, you can't like, well, obviously it's the hockey podcast. We're talking about hockey. You can't go to a, a, a house league player and say, Hey, you could make the NHL when they're 16 in a house league. Like that's really, that's never going to ever, ever happen. Um, but you're looking at a guy in juniors and they're, you know, at a high level, it's like, yeah, you have the chance, but you also have to know like the realism as well. It's not easy. And something that, that I've really pushed since I retired and I got into coaching is letting the boys know how hard it is to make it. Like I constantly talk about them. Like you can, you can, and by make it, you know, that's a relative term, depending on who I'm speaking to, whatever level, whatever team, um, but I'm telling the boys, like, like, look at the guys around you, look at the guys who are coaching, who, who've come up from the same exact city and how many guys have played D1 or D3 or made it to pro. It is possible, but it is also effing hard and there will be roadblocks and your first year of juniors, you're going to get crapped on. Like, I don't care how talented you are at U16 or U18. You need to know this. You're going to go through hard times. I had yeah. one goal my first year of juniors. I had 17 or 16 my second year. And I constantly tell them that like, like I I didn't give up. I went through those hard times and they made me better. And you're going to go through them too. And we need to work on those things. That's why you keep focusing on details. You keep focusing on habits. You keep doing this. You keep doing that. So something, something about that, Matt is like, do you, obviously you work with a lot of people that come to you probably as they're having tough, tough times. Do people come to you and is the goal for you to have, have elite athletes or elite chefs or whoever, or people who just want to have an elite mindset is the goal to them to come to you and be proactive versus reactive. So you can teach them these skills, man, 5 million percent, because like 
I put a tweet out the other day and I was talking about it a bit. Like we respect so much this prehab approach for our body. And then all of a sudden that a kid or someone goes through a confidence issue or whatnot, it's like, Oh my God, is this is terrible. Do I have a mental health problem? Da, da, da. Cause like, I think this is where, you know, we've got a bit of a problem here, not a problem, but we don't love the way that mental health has been approached because it's, it's kind of like this, it is private for sure, but you know, we're almost made to feel bad if something's going on or we're not always feeling a hundred percent. And that's not, that's not the best way to treat it. Right. Like looking at something, for example, in regards to, um, we were talking about it the other day, but like depressional periods, like people look at depression as depression, not a depressional period. And again, it kind of comes back to this whole thing on understanding life and realizing that it's not always going to be perfect. You're going to have depressional periods. It's, it's, it's like, just because you're out of whack for a little bit doesn't mean you're completely on the other end of the spectrum. It means that you're going through some stuff right now that you can work through. And, you know, I think where we kind of, I guess did a bit of an, a disservice to a lot of people like kids in regards to that. Like we know as athletes, for example, if we tear a muscle, where to go, if we pull a muscle, we know where to go. If we, you know, we're sick, we know where to go. If we are hurt, we know where to go. But what about if you're going through a confidence issue, then what? What if you're going through um, a tough time where mom and dad are going through a tough, you know, divorce, let's say at home, then what? What if you just had, you know, your first heartbreak? What if you have a tough coach and you're feeling like crap and it's hard for you to get over your emotional side? Like we talk about it all the time. I don't feel like there's enough people that get or proactive, sorry, with it and get it in a prehab set. But it's, it's kind of like you're saying, Vex, like our hope is that everybody were to understand and value the idea that you're going to go through this in life, anything, no matter what it is, you're going to have a tough time and having those skills. Like you got to be like that chef where, you know, you have the skills to adapt to it. Otherwise you're going to constantly hit these tough situations and not know what to do. And then you're going to beat yourself up and it's going to be hard. And like, I think it also goes to push you guys, this whole thing on, you know, positive coaching and positivity and da, da, da. like positivity is great. Don't get me wrong. I love it. It's needed. It's, it's absolutely crucial. I would love if people started to replace the word with optimistic instead, because like looking at a situation kind of like you said, Bex, you know, I'm not going to sit there and, and tell a kid like you can't do it because I believe everybody can do what they have to do if they put their mind to it truly. But at the same time, I'm going to be like, yeah, dude, like you're going to go through five years of hell. It's probably going to suck, but you're going to be fine at the end of it but you're going to go through it instead of this whole thing of like, you can do it, Bobby. Like, yeah, Bobby, you can, but dude, it's going to take a while. So I think people got to realize you can't throw a, a doormat on top of this crap. Like you've really got to put some time and effort into it and train it just like you would the physical game, but instead for your mental game, otherwise it's going to smack you at the complete wrong time. Like we say it to our guys all the time. It's like, man, people don't realize that your shortcomings come out at the worst times, right? Like in the face of performance, when you want to do what you got to do and you cheated that other day on whatever rep or whatever it is, it, it shows. So it's realizing that it's the inevitable and you got to be prepared. I love that. And, and I always say something I constantly tell my guys, you're constantly preparing. You're either preparing to succeed through your preparation and your dedication and your habits, or you're preparing yeah. to fail through your lack of preparation. And if people, people constantly, everyone trains now, everyone has mm -hmm. a skills coach. Like we're always working our physical, but ask any high level athlete, 
it's when you're at that level, the difference between the best players and the guys who consistently perform, consistently make money, consistently get great contracts is mm-hmm. their ability to just stay even keel, like kind of Tolf was saying, the highs and the lows. And, and yeah. they constantly, they have a good game, they're still here. They have a bad game, they're still doing the same things because they trust mm-hmm. themselves. And so with the physical, everyone is always preparing now. Everyone knows they got to work out. Everyone knows they got to do short sprints. And hopefully everyone by now knows they shouldn't be doing long distance runs if they're hockey players. Um, but but no one is constantly preaching the mental side. And in the summer, work on your mental side. Something that, that I do before every single workout is we do, I do uh, one minute of intention. I lay the boys on their back. We put, we turn the music off. There's no talking. And I tell them, why are you here? Think about your goals, see yourself achieving them. Tell yourself what you want to do. If you want to be a, you played fourth line last year, you want to be in second line, see yourself achieving that, see yourself doing that. And then right after that, we do on ice visualization. And obviously it's not the same thing as like putting those skills and working on them, but like we're working on some of that mental aspect. At least something. Right. At least something with the little amount of time I get with them every day. But like, why aren't we all focusing more on the mental? Because the mental is honestly just as important and honestly more important than the physical. 100%. Are you saying, Vex, that football is 80% mental and 40% physical? I am, little giants. You are correct. (laughs) Sorry, go ahead, Matt. <laughs> no, <it's, laughs> that's unreal. But no, I was going to say, it's like, you know, guys, the big one too that that has to be considered is if you're waiting for something to happen until you really want to do something about it, that's, it's the wrong approach because like, hey man, we've seen kids get passed over that have been really, really good. And it's not because they can't do it. It's simply because of the fact that they waited for things to get so bad that they sat in their own crap and then they decided to reach out. Or how about the ego side of it? Like, this is something we had to work really hard on as a brand to make the mental side, at least from what we like to think and the stuff we look at, like we try to make this as sexy as possible for people. We have to, like, if we don't make this something that's like, you know, Oh my God, it's cool to train your mental game. Like, whoever really says that you kind of have to take that under underhand approach and be like, Hey man, here's a soft one for you. Crush it, like nail it out of the park. Because I think too, what, what a big one I'm noticing is it seems so complicated sometimes to train your mental game. I don't know why, like a great example, people will be like, how do, how do people in performance adapt at the drop of a hat? Well, it's or a drop of a dime. It's very simple. Like they know what they want to accomplish. And um, they've just conditioned themselves to keep focused on that when everything goes wrong. That's like, it's really that simple, right? Like, where do we see the guys that persevere? There's such a strong and committed focus to what they want to accomplish or what you do Vex with before performance. Here's my intention. Here's what I want. Just stay focused on that. And if you can stay focused on that, you're going to be okay. And guess what? It takes conditioning. It does. Like, it's hard to stay focused on it. If anybody's ever watched the Bruce Lee trainings, right. Where they're focused on that one thing. Like there's a reason that that guy does that stuff or used to do that stuff. And I know it's cliche, but even the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi, like that's a great example. You know, when he's catching the fly with his chopsticks, that's an outstanding example. I know it's, you know, a movie, but the one that's able to adapt is the one that's able to stay focused on the end goal. Like it's, it's kind of like we said, you don't change your approach just because it didn't work the first time you see what little innovations you need to make. Right. So it's like, 
it's simple stuff. It's, it's little things like that, but I think people got to realize like there's a prehab approach that you should be taking to it and waiting until it gets bad is not really the best way to do it. And it's one of those things that, like you said, it's habitual, just like working out your muscles are just like skating and practicing your shot and practicing are. I read, it reminds me of a, a quote I read probably a week ago and it said it was from Bruce Lee, you know, who knows, but mm-hmm. it, the quote was, uh, Bruce Lee said, I'm not scared of the man who practices 10,000 different kicks one time each. I'm scared of the man who practices one kick 10,000 times. So he becomes a master at it. And it's, it's such a good quote about how important details and habits are. And so like yep. you, can, you can work on all this periphery stuff you can do uh, pertaining to hockey. You can mm-hmm. do pep and work on going under things, people throwing trash cans on the ice or whatever. But like Toph has said on the last few podcasts, like successful people do the unsexy stuff every day. And, and one of those things that's probably looked at as unsexy is mental training, resiliency yep. training stating your intention every day, taking a minute before you go and do stuff to think about your why, like those little tiny habits and details are so massively important. And that, that 10,000 kicks thing, totally, you know, it was, it was a good metaphor for me to wrap my head around that and tell the kids. hundred percent. And even with that too, I was going to say like, looking at it, it's funny because I think a lot of people get into this space of not realizing that they're in full control over how they want to feel. And they often just kind of feel the way that, you know, I hope that I'm going to feel good today. Like, man, what makes you think that you're just going to wake up and feel amazing? Like, think about it. You have to choose how you want to feel. And I know it sounds cliche, but heck man, like this is a real, real big one. We see with a lot of our guys, it's like, you've got to choose the state you want to put yourself into. And it's, you're going to have those times where you had a terrible game the night before or something went on in your personal life. Like it's interesting, man. We're starting to notice that as the kids start to hit an age of about 18 years old, it's no longer necessarily a, a huge thing that we need to train them about in performance stuff. It's out of performance stuff. Like we just had a conversation with one of our partners in the English Premier League for soccer. And like, man, we were talking to this guy and we were saying, he goes, you know, it's interesting about this whole thing. Cause we got a, a couple projects we're doing with them. He goes, you know, pro-life is very simple. Like the 26-year-old, sometimes it's a matter of the divorce he's going through and having to get cleared to make sure he doesn't carry that over to his performance. And it's like you look at a kid who's 18 and it's like, like I said before, sometimes it's a matter of the breakup you just went through with your first love maybe and you got to make sure that's not coming to performance with you. Like people don't realize it's not just about athletic performance. It's choosing how you want to feel on a daily basis about friggin' life. Like that's the hard part. And I, I, I had my ass kicked in a good way or my eyes wide open when I first watched um, Tom Brady, Tom Burst Times on Facebook. I suggest that series for any human being to watch if they want to get an inside look about what it means to live the life of a pro. Tom Brady wakes up. He does his thing from 630 till like 233 in the afternoon. Then he's done and he's Tom Brady. And he's with Giselle and the kids and he's doing whatever Tom Brady, the father has to do. And he's doing it well. It's super important that I think a lot of people understand that, that staying even keel mentally is knowing when to do your thing and when to like pull out if you have to, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's a balance, man. Like it's, it's super important to choose how you want to feel on a daily basis. Otherwise no one's going to do it for you. That's, that's, that's amazing. And, and like, 
I think to go along with that and, and just to kind of like take that to where you were at before about the choosing, but also there's got to be action to that too. So mm-hmm. it's like taking that mental step to choose how you want to feel about a certain thing. And then also taking the action steps, because I feel like in, in talking to a lot of different people, the waiting part of it is a huge cause of stress for a lot of people. They know where they want to go. And, and I feel like a lot of the waiting part of it has to do with fear of failure. Like you're, you're afraid yeah. to take the action because you're afraid to put yourself out there or be vulnerable or, you know, you're, you're afraid that what you're going to do is, is not the right thing. But at the end of the day, you look at Tom Brady, you look at all the elite athletes and you look at the amount of turnovers that they have, or you, you look at the amount of interceptions that they have or anything like that. I mean, they have built that mental muscle of adapting their mindset and taking action when things don't go their way, maybe even just in their preparation for what they're doing. Um, and, and I think that is such an invaluable thing, not just for kids, but for just for for overall life, you know, life gives to the giver. And if you're just waiting on the sidelines and you're just waiting for something to happen and you're not willing to put yourself out there, I feel like that's where a lot of the source of stress comes from. And especially for kids, not wanting to make mistakes and especially for kids, not, you know, being so worried about what other people are going to think. Uh, about taking action for something. I just think it's an all encompassing thing that you've uncovered here. And and I just think it's an amazing lesson for all kids and not even just all kids, but all people to learn. And I want to, I want to talk about something that kind of unpacks something he said, number one, choosing how you feel. But the other thing too, is not letting the life stuff bleed over into the sports because that is so important. I mean, we all know we've all been in locker rooms you know, a guy breaks up with his girlfriend and he's super depressed and that has nothing to do with hockey and that bleeds into his game. Or, you know, like you said, you know, maybe your parents are going through a tough time and you come to the rink and you're down. Um, So I guess two questions for you, Matt, how do you choose your mood and your headspace? And two, how do you separate when the outside world, the non-sporting world, you're having a tough time and you want to not bring that into your sporting world. You want to separate them. So first one I'll say is this, people got to understand state and realize what getting into state really is and choosing a mindset. So like, I think where a lot of people get this wrong. So there's three things we look at. It's your body, it's your focus, and it's your language, right? It's three things that really change your state. So think about it for a sec. Every emotion has a body language that's associated with it. If you're smiling, if you're sad, if you're down if you're depressed like think about it how does somebody who's feeling depressed stand they're usually slouched over and they're down in their head right and then someone who's happy and powerful they're usually up and they're ready to go and it's like what people don't realize is you know we suggest two things to our athletes number one you've got to pick or any high performer but you've got to pick a time in the morning the first thing you do after you go to the washroom as soon as you get up should be to get yourself into a state actually choose to get into a state you change you have a practice with your body language it could be something like you know for some guys they like to go on a run in the morning for us some guys like to bang out push it like just something to change your state you you, or you consciously take control of your body language then what you do is you take control of your focus you can do that by asking questions i don't think we realize that focus is literally questions right everyone talks about 95 percent of the time you spend on problems and 5% of the time people spend on solutions, right? So what we need to do to flip that so that we're 95% on the solution is get way more used to asking ourselves how instead of why. 
Think about it. You can, if, if you're always asking why, it's always a matter of like, why did this go wrong? Well, yeah, you're going to sit in your own crap for a very, very long time. You ask yourself, how? How can I feel great today? How, how can I take my life to the next level? How can I reflect the identity I want? That's something we should probably get into in a sec. But like asking yourself how you can feel good and choosing what you want to focus on sets it all apart, right? Like I want to feel amazing today. How can I do that? Well, you got to make sure that as soon as I get up, maybe I get a workout in. Awesome. Um, I'm going to go and, you know, text this individual because that's one person that makes me feel awesome. Um, I'm going to go read this book because that's something that allows me to feed my mind. It's taking control over your focus for the day. And that whole thing, honestly, guys, like this is one thing that it's a mind blower for people. And I don't know why, but what you literally read can change how it make you change how you feel and choosing to consume crap in the morning. If that's the first thing you want to do, it is 100% going to bleed over to the rest of your day. A million percent because I've heard it like, Oh, have you heard when I was reading this thing at breakfast on this and that? And it's like, Dude, I, I don't even know how you're focused on that still, but I'm over here because that's where I want to be, right? So take control of your body, your focus, and then your language. Like, you know, people use prayer for this. Some people, right, where if they're spiritual, they want to have a prayer and they, they get intentional. Some like positive affirmations. Some like chants when they're going in the gym and the running or whatever, grunting when they work. Like that language actually has the mind-body connection that a lot of people don't realize, and how you talk to yourself, we all talk about the story we tell ourselves, but we don't take conscious control over it. And we're still beating ourselves up after, right? So it's like really having that ability in the morning to do those three things. It takes 10 minutes, guys. And like we say it to our athletes all the time. And we, I will use a, a pro athlete example because I don't want to hear anybody too that says, oh, I don't have time for it. Guys, 10 minutes can change your life. And it's like, if you don't have 10 minutes, I don't know if you have a life. Because at that point, you're beating on someone else's schedule, right? So it's like taking the time to strategically do that in the morning and scheduling it can change how you feel. Like you got to get intentional for that. Now, on the other side weeks of, of splitting that stuff up, we always suggest an alter ego. We've been doing this now for like six years since we started this all. And it's been a game changer for a lot of our guys. It's consciously taking control of who you are in performance and who you are in your personal life. Like all of us have an alter ego. I know for me, I got to be a little bit more direct and to the point when I'm coaching somebody. When I am in a stage where it's just me, my family, and it's easier going, I'm louder, I'm outgoing, I'm more vulnerable. Like that's just, that's what the environment calls for. And it's not a matter of being a chameleon where a lot of people will ask, well, isn't that sweeping it under the rug? No, it's actually doing what our coaches always told us to you guys. Who are the ones that get hurt? The ones that don't go hard. So if you're the guy coming into performance and you're not in the right mindset, for that environment where your team needs you to be responsible, they need you to be a leader, they need you to be vocal, outgoing, whatever it might be, there's a potential that you could potentially get hurt in performance, right? And it doesn't mean like physically get hurt. It could be that you're making mistakes, it could be that. And then you bleed over to your personal life and you can't separate that. So I think what a lot of pe people got to realize is that you should be choosing who you are in your personal life. And you should also be choosing like, who you are going to be in your performance life. Cause that's where a lot of these things and these mishaps happen. Like you got to take conscious control over who you want to be. So, so let me ask you this because we talk a lot and, and I think a lot of the nomenclature out there in this performance world is bring the best version of you 
to the mm-hmm. arena, to the rink, to your job, whatever. And I feel like, I don't want to say what you're saying goes against that. Maybe it's just a different spin on it, but how do you kind of rectify the, you know, what most people would kind of say is bring the best version of you with the alter ego, um, scenario that you just kind of laid out for us. I would say it's simple that like how, well, I'll even challenge you on this. How can you be the best version of yourself? If you're not the right version of yourself going into performance, think about that. How can you be the absolute best version of yourself if you're not bringing the intensity, the aggression, the, the, the mindset that you need going into that? And I think that's where people don't realize, like, you know, I, I first started using this when my parents went through a tough divorce when I was in grade 10. And I was the person that always bled over from the personal life of being upset about the divorce, going into performance. And that was tough for me until I realized that I had my alter ego that I put on of, hey, for the next 90 minutes, it's just soccer. Because I started to realize, like, best version of me, let's take it back to that. He knows that there's going to be problems going on. Again, it's that opt- it's that realistic optimism that we talked about, right? Like, I know there's going to be problems when I'm, I'm done with this. But right now, so that I don't have two problems after this, I need to go crush the performance. Because I know how I get after this. I feel like crap when I don't play well. Or at least I know I didn't give everything that I have. So the best version of me and what we say with a lot of our athletes is like, so we've got a lot of guys in this scenario where they have kids right at the pro level. And this is easy for context, but you know, a lot of them say, well, I want, I, I'm, I want to take care of my kids and I want to do well by my kids. Like that's a real thing. And it's like, okay, great. So what you need to do in this performance, you need to go leave it all out there. Because if you do that, you know that you're helping your family in the best way possible right now, which is providing for them. And you're going out there to be the person that you have to be. And you need to be aggressive right now. You need to be intense. You need to be hardcore because that's what your sport's calling for in this moment. When you're at home, though, guess what? You're going to unpack the hockey. You're going to unpack the sport. You're not going to worry about it because that's dead right now. It's done. It's at the rink and you can't do anything about it. You can go be the best dad in the world, though, to your two kids that you have. That's a real scenario. And that's not just for pros. Like, that's anybody. Like, making a conscious choice of who you want to be going into performance that is the best version of yourself there because you can't expect to tell me like, and we've seen this guys, like there's a lot of kids that are softer outside of sport. And then all of a sudden there's a switch that goes on and there are these mean hardcore players. And it's like, where the hell did that come from? Right. But it's like, if you were to go ask that kid, like, Hey man, do you feel like that's the best version of you? Probably there it is because he's probably had that conversation with a coach before. Like, where he hasn't been that good version and he's had to be tougher and meaner. Like we get that conversation a lot with guys who come into the NHL, for example, who are more intellectual and they, they see things more systematically and intellectually, and they're not going to run through a wall like some players who maybe aren't as in tune with their intellect and they're not going to do things unless they reason about it. And it's like, no, for now though, you need to be a little bit on that scale where you're not as, you know, analytical of everything. You just got to go do it. And that alter ego is a game changer for a lot of them. Have you, can you give us like an example maybe of, and you don't have to say names or anything like that, but maybe something where the alter ego has really helped somebody that is a certain way, maybe in their personal life. And then, because I, I mean, I, Jeff, you and I could probably sit here and fuck, we, we definitely have one. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's no question that we totally. have one. Um, so can you give us maybe an example of somebody that you've worked with where they've kind of had to change some things based on their personal life versus their performance life and how that's really helped them. Totally. There's, there's a guy that just made his jump to the NHL level that we've been working with. And I I don't want to say too many, obviously names out loud, but you know, this was a guy who 
honestly, guys, he came from a very, very, very academic background, did his thing with that, very smart, very, you know, analytical in a sense where if he was going to go and execute a play, he had to know why he was going to execute that play. And then more importantly, he was also somebody that grew up with this mentality and this belief system, which is, it's normal. It's how your parents raise you, that you have to always question things. And it's like, okay, that's, that's tough. And then on top of it, the individual at the time had an issue going on with a girlfriend. Okay. So we got that all going on in his personal life, right? Tough. And we've got this stuff going on now where you've got these coaches at a very, very high level who are telling you, why aren't you just being harder? Why aren't you just being tougher? Why aren't you just being meaner out there? So now you're combining these two levels of stress from two opposite worlds and it becomes a little bit hectic. So we had to take it in a, in a very clear approach and say, all right, pal, this is who you are personally. And these are all the responsibilities you're going to have. And guess what? Going back to that realistic optimism, these are the issues you're going to be dealing with in this side of life. We're going to leave it to that side of life. Here's who we got to be in performance. These are your roles, your responsibilities, the intensities you need to have, and the aggression you need to have. This is what this team's asking you to be. You need to stop questioning stuff here and be more so of the individual who just goes. That's your mentality when you're here. When you're here, just go. When you're here, analyze, take your time, and be intellectual on that front. And it was a game changer for him because it did two things. Number one, it's like I said, it separated those worlds of stress. That's that's huge for a lot of these guys. But more importantly, it allowed him to be the person he had to be in that area of life, right? Like it's naive to think that, you know, if you've ever gotten into creative spirit, that for example, you're thinking about everything with numbers and values and so on. The creativity usually comes from when you're just kind of being artistic about it and you're letting flow, whatever has to flow through you. When you have to be more analytical, for example, you usually look at more of the data and all that kind of stuff. It's the same thing with sport and personal life, right? It's knowing that in sport, for example, this is who I need to be and who I need to focus on. And when I'm here, I'm going to take care of that because I've even seen it work on the opposite. We've got a guy that we work with at, at, at the NBA level and, you know, he's somebody that has kids and he was saying, goes, I need to be able to know that when I leave that locker room, it's done because everything to do with that locker room can linger after with me. If I allow it to from social media to, to communicating with my agents to all that, like all that matters when I'm at home, he said, Matt is my two kids. That's all I care about. And I will, I will literally do whatever I have to do to shut out that noise because they need me to be this guy. And the nice thing about this individual guys is that, you know, with him, He's a smarter guy. He, he understands it, but he's also from a different background from where the majority of NBA players are from. He's a European descent. And you look at a guy like that and you see how he is. And just knowing the North American versus European mindset, it's two completely different worlds, right? That kind of gives a nice spin to a guy that is able to stress less and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's not complicated, but what I'll say is it's having that ability to know, like, these are the clear borders. And I think we always talk about that but we don't often clearly on a piece of paper define like at home, I'm responsible for X, Y, and Z at sport. I'm responsible for responsible for ABC. This is who I need to be to accomplish that. And this is who I need to be to accomplish this. It's really that simple. We just don't take the time to do it. I'm going to need you right now to uh, explain to our American and European listeners. We just went over X, Y, and, and Z. Z. Now, in America, now in America, Z is a letter. 
But in Canada, for you American les- listeners, Z is a word. Okay. <laughs> I went over the, I had this debate to the death with my Canadian teammates. Canadians <laughs> don't say the letter Z. They say a word that is Z. And they'll say it's no, it's not a word. It's, it's the letter Z. But Z is a word. To care to defend your country to say. <laughs> honestly guys i can't i can't honestly defend my country right now because like i was grow i grew up with italian slang plus canadian plus i have american cousins so for me man it's just a whirlwind of grammar and issues that come out however they decide to come out i have no choice over this this is not uh, conscious all right but I, I just had to say that but on a serious note now let's let's flip the table here is there we've talked about separating is there anyone that it's good for them to bring the sport home? Or do you say, you know, for the most part, nobody should do that? I think it's good to bring it home if you've got, so this is actually something we define with like people in their inner circles, right? If you've got an outstanding inner circle at home that understands what you're going through and understands like, Hey dude, like I can help you with your sport. Right that's the only time I would look at it. Like I always use this analogy guys, but like you probably shouldn't be taking advice on how to paint your walls from an accountant. And you probably shouldn't learn how to lay cement from like, I don't know, an artist if they don't ever do that. Right. So it's like, if you have somebody, when you go home that knows how to discuss with you the way it needs to be discussed by all means, but that takes an immense amount of boundary setting standard setting and communication so that there's no encroachment of this is going too far and it's too much because I've seen, Hey, I've seen very knowledgeable hockey fathers, right. Who know a lot about the game and actually can help their sons and daughters very much, but always talking about it, man, like we talk about burnout, but we don't, we don't ever put it on a pedestal the way it has to be. And it's, to me, it's simple. Like if you have somebody who knows where the line is, by all means, take it home and do what you got to do. If not, and you can't, you don't have that ability to talk to someone like a coach to text or whoever it might be. We don't suggest taking it at home at all. That's like one of the first things we do with the players we work with is define their inner circle. And it's not to cut people out. It's to know like after a game, who do you text? Because if dad's never been at the level you're at, unfortunately, pal, if he's somebody that's maybe a little bit too hard or whatever it might be, not the right person to take advice from. And if it's your, let's say, overactive coach from when you were a youth player that doesn't know how to shut it down and is always giving you crap and there's no positive feedback ever, probably not a good idea. So it's like defining that inner circle is one of the most important things to know who you can talk about it with. Like athletes got to understand this is their business. Like you would never, it's like they say in the Godfather, right? And I might just, I might be biased because I'm Italian, but and the Godfather is true. You never discuss business with family. Like you keep that separate for a reason. And it's not because of the fact that it's a disrespect thing to anybody that you want to talk about it with, but like, guys, if we're not going to experts, what are we doing? So I want to, I want to add to the inner circle thing because it's something that Vex and I talk about all the time. Like you surround yourself, who you surround yourself with is the most important decision that you're going to make in your entire life. And I had a, just like a story. I had a player that we coached at the college level who was a high NHL draft pick. 
and we're doing a preseason meeting <laughs> and um, I might've told this story before, but I don't know, but we're doing a preseason meeting and we're, like, we literally just asked him first question is how's everything going? Something stupid mm-hmm. like that. Tears, like literally bawling his eyes out. And we're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. What's like, what, what's going on? And he just started talking about the pressure and, you know, he's a high round draft pick mm-hmm. and he's got to live up to it and all this kind of stuff. And, as he's talking, I'm thinking to myself, like, man, this, he's got a lot of people in his ear. He's got a lot of people in his ear right now. And so I I asked him the question. I said, Hey man, how many people do you have in your ear right now telling you what you need to be or what type of player you need to be just hockey stuff. And he's like, he's thinking about it. And it's it's like nine different people, nine different people telling him what he needed to be. Right. So it was his dad. It was his agent. It was the NHL team. It was us. A um, couple other people that were in his, in his circle and, and nine experts who all have different perspectives on what their expertise is <laughs> that that can yeah. cause a lot of a lot of stress, obviously, for for a lot of these kids. And, you know, in this professionalized world that we're kind of living in now in youth sports, I feel like that can be a really big issue. And I think that's a huge part of the reason why you talk about, especially parents, that's who I thought of as you were going through what you were Mm -hmm. talking about. I mean, kids need parents to just be parents uh, a a lot of the time because they're having other people that are telling them what they need to be in this and that and the other thing. And so um, it's, it's just, I, I think it's a very real problem. Um, and it's a very real, uh, and I see it and Jeff and you guys all see it every day and working with the kids that you're working with, the amount of stress and the amount of pressure that uh, I feel like a lot of these kids are under nowadays. Um, it'd be good to put people in your inner circle that know how to help you to have fun Mm -hmm. (laughs) and know how to help you to disconnect. And it doesn't have to be a hundred percent all like you can have goofy friends that can be just as good for you as a great coach. Yeah. Uh, You know what I mean? So I just think that's such a valuable thing that you're talking about and that choosing of who's in the inner circle, I think is just such a, such a crazy, crazy important thing for, for kids to do. Well, that's why guys, like we even hit on it too and say like mental toughness. Again, we call it the resilient lifestyle. This is lifestyle, right? Like, it's not a mental skill. It's, it's a lifestyle that you live consistently. And to go on your point of the inner circle, like we say it all the time, you got to have people that are experts in your, in your field that, you know, you can turn to a hundred percent of the time, but you also need people that just have your back. Cause those people are ones that, you know, you don't realize they're going to pick you up when times get tough, but more importantly, they're going to be ones that they know how to have fun when you think the world's falling in front of you. And guess what? It's really not as bad as you make it seem. It's really not like we do a lot of stuff here called a uh, skunk works at Molotium. And one of the things we actively do you guys is search out like projects that put us into uncomfortable situations. So we learn how to deal with simple perspective things. And one thing that we did was really understand and start to understand the pressures behind social media. So some of our clients that come through our doors are, you know, social media personalities as well, not just athletes, but, music and entertainers, TikTokers. And this one kid that we worked with is a TikToker. And um, it's interesting. Very, very, very interesting, Vex. I'm telling you. Where this one story just blew us away to an extent that it was like, and we're dealing with a guy who's having an issue over scoring. You, You don't even know what this guy's going through. You don't even have the clue about how many like 
for example, not even hate comments, but like ever being canceled, like that stupid label now of you're canceled now, like that really affects people. Right. And it takes it right down to family life and all that stuff. And it's just realizing too, on a perspective mentality that it's really not as bad as you think that it is. And you need people to remind you that a lot of the time you missed a shot, you missed a net, you missed a game winning goal. You let a crap goal in who cares. And I know in the moment it might be everything, but you got to realize, man, like that moment is going to be as big as you make it as big as you make it. Right. We've seen players that have completely dropped the ball the night before to going out and having the game of their life the next day. Why? Because they realize it's what it is. It's part of who I am, right? Realistic, realistic optimism. It's part of it is understanding that you're going to make mistakes. I think like you said before, Toph, and like more importantly, understanding that you're going to have days where you have to make up for them. That's okay. Work through it. Let, let me ask you this. We talked about the inner circle. We talked about mm -hmm. choosing your inner circle. Um, what about what types of questions would you say to people? Cause there's going to be a lot of parents and coaches listening to this and even players could be part of an inner circle for their teammates or their totally. brother or their sister. Are there certain questions, whether you are uh, knowledgeable of the game of hockey or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, an artist, a, a musician, you don't know anything about music. Are there certain questions that are, are kind of helpful questions after a bad game, you know, more, more that are meant to make the player, reflect on you know perspective or change their mindset do you have any like advice on uh, say tof is i'm tof's dad tof had a bad game mm -hmm. he calls me dad i'm gonna get cut the world's ending what kind of things as as tof's dad should i be asking or saying if i don't know much about hockey so two things i'm gonna say first if tof calls for example in this example answer it because what I think where a lot of people don't understand it, if a player doesn't want to talk after a game, they're not going to talk. And you're going to force it, you're going to force it, and you're going to force it. And I've been on the wrong end of that before when I first started out on this, where it's like, get feedback right after the game, see how it goes. Some players don't want to do it. That's the first thing. Second thing, operate off of positive feedback. Positive feedback is never, um, you know, you did this wrong in the game. Unless someone is asking you for that, it's different. But like players know when they make mistakes, right? I think we were, we're asking a lot of our top guys, like we just did a survey in our, in our company to understand like how to better actually do this. And 93% of them responded with, I know when I make a mistake and it actually gets me more angry when I listen to more about how I made the mistake. Instead, I want it to be very simple. If I call you and I ask for something, answer. That's the first thing. Second thing, if you're going to give feedback, ask friggin' permission for it. Like, hey, hey, Vex, can I give you just a little criticism on that? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I think you could do this a little bit better. What do you think? That last part of what do you think completely puts control back into that individual's hands instead of you being a lecturing individual, right? It's like you basically telling me you got to be better at this. Okay. Excellent. But you got to, I think you could do this better. What do you think is a completely different undertone to what you're asking. So I would operate off those three. If they're calling you, for sure answer that call. If they're not and they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to talk about it right now. If people pay attention to the long-term habits of, of kids or, or you know high performers, they eventually want to talk about it. Just because they don't want to in your moment of time right now, it's probably going to come out later on in the week. And if it doesn't, it usually means they've either figured it out or maybe you need to check yourself and realize, like, have I done something 
to, to make it an unsafe environment for this person to want to talk to me, right? Like we've all had that individual guys, that family member or friend or whoever that gives you like, you know, when they give you a hard time, as soon as you call them, like, Oh, it's you again calling. It's like, I don't know why I ended up calling this guy anyways. Right. And it's like, you kind of got to check yourself and have that self-awareness too, because those little verbal, you know, rapport breaking cues of when you pick up and you're not matching and mirroring and you, you automatically go to the jokes and maybe that's not what someone wants. That's a deal breaker for some people. Right. So it's like, you got to have that, that reflective side as well on yourself of asking the right questions, asking permission for it, and then operating off positive feedback. And if someone isn't calling you and you thought that you were someone good, that's where you can check yourself a little bit. Right. That's how I would look at it with these guys. That's really interesting. That's a great perspective on it. Um, I, I, we've had you on here for close to an hour now, so I don't want to take up too much of your time here, Matt, but there is one thing that was awesome by the way, but there is one thing that I, I want to go back to. And, and cause I think mm-hmm. this is something that is really a, a lot of kids struggle with. And, and I think your exact quote was the moment is going to be as big as you make it. Yeah. Um, we can dwell on little things. <laughs> there was a saying, what was the saying? Um, it was, I think it was Tony Robbins who said mm-hmm. most of us fail in life because we major in minor things. Um, and Good I, one. I think that that is something that a lot of us struggle with and a lot of kids struggle with because uh, again, whether it's the pressure, whether it's they just have these big dreams and goals and aspirations and they want it so badly that I think that they think that every little thing is, is going to affect it. Um, but that's such a, such a profound statement that the moment is going to be as big as you make it. And that could be for the good or the bad, I think. And so I, I wanted to, you to dive into that a little bit more and maybe what are some strategies um, that kids can take to make sure that the moment is the right amount of big or little <laughs> that, uh-huh. that it needs to be? You know what? It's, so we, we look at it as like a balancing act whenever we're talking about it with kids, because the thing is this, I'm sure we've all seen something of that form of quote by, uh, it's, it's, a, it's an Asian proverb um, where it's like, if you're anxious, you're living in the future. If you're depressed, you're living in the past. And you know, if you, you're bang on, you're in the moment kind of thing. But the problem is what I will say with that, where although it's good, it can be tweaked a bit. So we always say it like this, like leave your decision-making into the big picture right? With your actions, making sure that you're acting in the moment for that big picture. So what that means is this, if you want to be an NHL player, you've got to have the perspective of, okay, that might be, I don't know, five years away until I even make it right. We're young or four years or whatever it might be great. So how can I take an action in the moment to take a step closer to that? That also means if I lose and I'm trying to play a 20 year NHL career, is the one game really going to matter in that career? It's a humility of understanding that if you're going to actively take steps towards the big picture, you have to also actively accept, I'm not going to say accept failure, but adapt to the issues with the big picture in mind. It's not going to matter in 20 years from now. And that's the truth about it. Like, I know that didn't hit me. A great perspective on it is when I, when I actually made it to Italy as a soccer player. I always used to beat up every single little game. And I was like, well, that's what I was told to be detailed. Yes, you got to be detailed. However, the thing is, I didn't realize until I got there, like there was always one incident with a coach when I was 12 that stuck out to me in my head. And, you know, I remember getting to Italy and actually being done my first ever training session and thinking to myself, like, 
I can't believe I actually made that an issue at the time. And I think a lot of players got to have that perspective of like, when I make it, like not if, not like when I make it to where I want to, it could be, you know, D1, it could be the NHL, whatever you decide you want to try and do. I think everybody's got to evaluate their situation based on where they want to go. Because a lot of the times it's even like guys in the NHL level, like, dude, you're going to have a long career. If you want, you got to realize that this is one game and it's just one game because at the same time, if you're celebrating, like you just won the Stanley cup after one win, we always hear that scenario. You're still going to lose. Like we look at it all the time, guys. Like we have a nice big spreadsheet, obviously of all the people we work with in a, in, you know, different coaching styles and such. But the thing we always look at is we don't look for the players that had a bad game really, because it's, you know, that's usually when motivation's high. We look for the players that had an outstanding game. And those are the ones that are on like red alert for us. So like, Hey dude, you had one good game. Like you need to have five more of those in the next week. If you want to get to this level of where you said you want to get to. And then on the opposite end, like if it's really bad, it's always looking at it like, Hey brother, you're going to actually be fine because you've got an entire career ahead of you. So it's, it is perspective. Like you've got to make decisions based on where you want to end up. I don't know. I don't understand why people have not really caught onto this, but it's like, I have two grand, two sets of grandparents that literally got on a boat, came to Canada with no money in their pocket. And it was like, like when I asked all four of them about it, it was very simple. It's like, we wanted to get to Canada. Okay. Then what? No, no, no. That, that was it. We wanted to get to Canada. So everything we did, we just made decisions to get to Canada. It's like, Hmm. All right. So it's like great perspective. I want to get to the NHL. Okay. So treat everything like you want to get to that level. Right. And it's, it's getting over wins that quickly and it's getting over losses that quickly as well. Jeff and I talk about perspective a lot. We talk about perspective and we talk mm-hmm. about being the sports and athletics and these big hopes and dreams, putting it in, in a perspective that we're pretty freaking lucky to be having this opportunity to even be saying this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. so for me, one of the things that has really allowed me to have that kind of perspective is being very, um, very, being very involved in the special needs community. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's another way that um, anybody can have that perspective of, okay, did everything that happened today, is it going to affect me so much where my life is <laughs> at a hundred or, or is it a zero? Um, having that perspective and doing things for other people that are less fortunate than you or um, having the opportunity to be around the special needs community, it just gives you a, kind of like a feeling of, you know what, it's, it's not that bad. Mm-hmm. There are people struggling with much tougher things than me losing this game or me making this mistake or um, just whatever in, in your life that's not going as well. Um, what would you say to that? Is that something that you do with, with your athletes or your, your other people that you're working with as well? A million percent, man. Like, this is what I think people don't realize sometimes is like sport. you got to treat sport with a specific respect and a bit of a disrespect at the same time. Like I can't, and you guys have seen this. I can't tell you how many athletes I've seen. That's like basketball and hockey or whatever. It's my everything. And it's the only thing. And it's what my baby and it's going to die. It's like, yeah, sure. For five hours out of the day at the most, then you're done. Then what about the rest of your life? Like, what goes on outside of that? What happens outside of that? If there's, I, I can't tell you guys how many players we've seen that are consistently dominant 
that have an amount of disrespect for their sport and not in a bad way, but I'm saying like in a way that it's like, I'm just here for three hours today. I'm going to put all the work in and then I'm done. And it's not to say that they completely like neglect nutrition or mental or whatever. They take that all into consideration, but they know that now is now and that's it done finished. And another thing that we look at with a lot of these guys that we tell them like Fregman, reflect on what you see in the world, like actually be observational for a little bit, just a little bit, have a little bit of humility to, and not on Instagram. Like you can walk out of your, your beautiful condo or your nice house, wherever it is, whatever you're doing. And just observe, like it hit me once guys, when I was on a, I was running in the morning and, um, like I saw a guy who's help, being helped onto um, a, a special needs kind of type of bus where he wasn't able to physically walk. And you could tell there was a bit of a mental issue there going on as well. And like that, like it's the little things you got to be observant about. And I just remember stopping in my own space and being like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm running with full autonomy and full control over what I want to think about and where I want to go. That's a, that's a really big, like to this individual, that's a, that's a huge thing in life. And we don't observe enough because we all get caught in our own little worlds and we shut ourselves down to understanding that this is a big picture game that we're playing here. That is the hardest thing, guys, I will tell you with any athlete we're working with is to get them to understand that this is a big picture, big life, holistic understanding of longevity. Because what people don't realize is as quick as it comes, it can go. And you don't realize that until it goes. So it's like, it's, it's understanding that you've got to take the time to observe what's going on around you. Cause it's not only going to make you a better human, it's going to make you a better athlete, whether or not you know it as well. It's going to make you work harder. Sometimes you, we've all had that thing where we look at, you know, coming from, I know a lot of our guys that have made it at the pro level that came from really tough backgrounds. They reflect on that and that gives them the, the perspective that they need. Right. So it's like, I believe that every individual should be taking time out of their day to genuinely observe the world. And I know that sounds like, okay, man, like whatever, but honest to God, like 15 minutes, if you can just observe what's going on around you and realize like what you genuinely have. And this is something we get a lot of our pro guys to focus on because a lot of them have a good amount of money to their name. And that keeps them not humble, but realistic about what's happening in front of them. You've got all this power, dude, like, use that you know so it's just a practice man it's a practice that you can use like reflecting or meditation but i like carving out time for that every day for myself and a lot of our guys do that yeah and i feel like that can really help you to prioritize what's important and not even like on a macro level but even on a micro level okay like what's important for me to do today (laughs) what's important for me to think about today and i know i'm much more dialed in when i'm doing those things because now i know that maybe my wife needs a little bit more attention today (laughs) because i've been doing or maybe uh, my team needs a little bit more attention or maybe i need a little Mm -hmm. bit more attention and i need to go do something fun for myself and taking that time to reflect and and i love the way that you put it observe it can really help us keep our priority priorities in check which at times especially in our busy 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 lives and with all the things that we have going on whether you're um, a, a dad or a mom of a family of five or you're a 15 year old kid that's got to deal with school and social and athletics and everything else that that you have to deal with as a 15 year old just taking that time to prioritize what's important 
macro, what's important to me, where I want to get to, like what you were talking about before, and then prioritizing the micro of, okay, what are those steps that I need to take today to get there? I just think that's, that's awesome, man. I think you just put that in a great perspective for everybody. No, man, it's, it's massively, I think it's just overlooked where like we all get caught up in our own little worlds and we forget about like what's really happening around us sometimes, you know, and it's, I don't know. It's it, to me, it's one of the only ways that you can really get the most out of what you're doing. Like it, it's what allows you to, to extend a helping hand. Like this is, so we have a leadership side that we use with a lot of our guys that are coming in and, you know, being named as captains of their team and so on. And um, one of the first things we do with our leaders is we get them to learn how to be observational because if we're talking about building a leader You've got to pick up on simple things like facial coding of a kid or a player on your team that looks potentially down. Like you got to be, you got to be observational enough to pick up on that. You've got to be able to scan your environment. Like that's a really hard trait when you're taught to focus on yourself for a long time. And I preach this a lot with our guys and I preach this a lot socially, like selfish to be selfless, work on yourself to be a better version of you so others can benefit. But training that skill of observation is a really hard thing to do because when you're given that C or a captain band, whatever you're given, you're now responsible for an entire team. And if you've only been one way for the entire, your entire life up to this point, that's something that's hard to do. Right. So it's, it bleeds into your personal life as much as it does your, your professional, because you should be observing at all times to understand like, how's this guy feeling? How's this person feeling? What, what, what did that, you know, little situation that just panned out in the corner over there, how did that affect somebody five minutes from now? That look from the coach, from my player on the bench, does he need a pat on the back? Like that's something I got to do. And that's a real, that's why people don't understand too. When you're given a letter, Frig man, that's a lot of responsibility in a great way. It's an honor, but you gotta, you gotta own that responsibility. So how would you kind of last question here, as we kind of get going here, how would you encourage coaches or parents or anybody in leadership positions? How would you get them or how would you go about teaching how to be observational as a, as a, as a kid, as a player or somebody that you're leading? Honestly, for kids, I would always have a mandated practice in my team that you have to speak to a different kid on the, on the most basic level three different kids for 30 seconds a day. And you got to learn one thing about them. Like it is so basic, but my gosh, guys, like that is an absolute game changer for people because it forces you to actually get yourself out of your own space and go talk to somebody. And it's something that I don't care what anybody says. There are not a lot of kids that want to do that. There aren't because they're there to get their, their job done and they go on a move from it. That should be a mandated thing. Simple things like in a team culture, at least from what we see, you know, making it so that every player has to run into each other, I think is one of the most important things. And I know we got the locker room or change room for that, but, you know, putting a standard behind your team that you got to at least handshake or fist bump to make each other physically get into touch with one another. Like that is, it's a game changer for a lot of these. There's a reason that big organizations, for example, design their buildings so that the salespeople are running into the engineers and they purposely have to go through a specific sector in the building. So they all talk to each other, right? Like it's no different from a team. We're all organizations here. We're all people. So when it comes down to it, I would, 
I would love to always see coaches doing that. Like we get great examples with the teams that we work with. We're fortunate enough to have great teams that we work with that we see that have really strong cultures. And it's like the one thing that these individuals have in common is they're constantly forcing their players to interact, whether or not their players know it. And it just causes a brotherhood and a bond that I don't think anybody can really compare to unless you're actually in the scenario. I love that. I talked about last episode, maybe two episodes ago, how um, after every single workout, I have to go around the room and, and give every guy this like special type of like high five that we do. And it was, you know, it was really weird during COVID we weren't doing it and guys would come up to me and be like, uh, you can't do it. <laughs> so then we started like clicking feet, like the eighties dance moves <laughs> to hip hop. So literally after every workout all last summer, walk up to the boys, like kick each other's feet. Guys are kicking each other's feet. They're, they're tapping elbows and it kind of became a Got joke. It. And you know, now we're back to the hidden hands and the boys love it. And, it. and it's like a culture thing. I totally believe in that. I learned that from a team I played on in Europe, which I talked about. And it's funny, Tof, Tof said something, uh, a few episodes ago about picking like three kids and talking to three different kids every, every practice from a coach's standpoint. So I love all of those different, like little tiny things that, you know, people on the outside think it means nothing, but it winds up meaning quite a bit. Dude, all it takes, like, I know, I know it's not the funnest thing to do for some people, but like, if you actually look at cultural studies and research and organizational research and all that kind of stuff, the amount of evidence that supports like interaction and touch and communication is overwhelming in not only like productivity of a team, but we're talking like the long-term effects of it. Like we're seeing like alumnus come back and make it a point like 30 years later to interact with the people that they left the, the company from to come back to. It's like, it's, I don't think people put enough stock into that. Cause again, it's not sexy. It really isn't. But you know, if you have the opportunity to, I encourage anybody that's listening to dive into studies like that, because the, the evidence that you can find and the things that you can see of how little interactions of a fist bump or a, Hey, what's up, Johnny, or whatever you want to call it does for the, the mindset and the safety of the culture and the environment is game changing. It's game changing. I'll have kids come to me after playing at a high level or even pro guys. And they'll be, I'll be like, how's the season? Well, I went through like three weeks where the coach didn't even say hi to me. And like they're lit that literally affects their mindset that the coach walks past them and doesn't even say hi. And it's like, wow. Like that's how important, like if the coach would have just been like, what's up, what's up, bro. Like, how you doing today? Like, boom, that player has confidence, you know, versus the opposite where you take it away. It's wild. Well, man, and I don't know what the inferiority complex is. Like, I get it. Like, you got to respect every every single elder. Definitely, it's important. But like, man, for coaches too. Like, I will I will plea at this right now. We are the guys that have to clean that up. Like, I can't tell you guys how many times we have seen players that have gone through that crap. As simple as a coach who won't shake their friggin' hand after a game because they want to be Mister Tough Guy. And we have to deal with that. Like we've got players that linger on that crap for like sometimes a couple of years before they're ready to talk about it. And I know it's small, but this is where we're naive guys to think that everybody should believe what we believe and everybody should feel the way that we feel because that's what we were raised to do. And that's where that was our belief system and our background. People don't understand that. 
And that's, that's a game changer to some kids of the course of a life that you can affect of a human. Like the last thing I'll say to wrap it up is, you know, if there's one thing I'm learning from this mental side and being all in on it, like, I'll be honest with you guys before I was the mental skills only guy, like I was fully involved of just performance, just athlete, only that forget about everything else and you'll be fine. I can't tell you the world rocking change that I've had over the last, like, I think it was like year two when we got into this, when we got our first guy or pro athlete who had like extended family and kids and so on. And we really had the privilege of seeing that interaction and balance. And it shifted our entire paradigm of who to focus on when it comes to performance. Like it's human beings, it's interactions with human beings that are the most important things when it comes to raising a good culture, raising a, a mentally strong individual, like it goes way deeper than sport. And I, I love looking at EPL studies. I'm a soccer buff, whatever you want to call it. Like, I love that sport, it's my sport. It's what it was. And I see this, like I look at Manchester city, which is a top premier team in the, in the EPL. And the way that a guy like Pep Guardiola, who's an outstanding coach on how this man interacts with players and how he does what he does. And it's like, there's a player on his team at one point, they won the championship. And this was a couple of years ago when they won it previously, his kid was going through some crap in the hospital. And this was a championship season. They were about to win the title and everything. And he told the guy to leave, just go be with your family. And the guy took a leave of absence for like something close to like six weeks. And you look at that and it's like, that's the reason that there's a bond there that happens that people understand like he feels safe now. And the, the ability to realize that there's a human element to all this only gets them to perform better in performance itself. So it's, it's humility. Like it's, it's realizing that we're humans and not just robotic athletes that only need athletic love. Like you need human love. It's, it's what gets the world going. So that's what we got. Amen. Perfect way to end. I like it. Did you, that, that's uh, Manchester city. Was that the Amazon all or nothing that you, I feel like I remember watching that. From yeah. Manchester city. That was incredible. Vex. Have you seen that one? No, that's awesome. You got Amazon prime. You got to go watch it. It's Manchester. Pep Guardiola is unbelievable. And then there was the other one on Tottenham. I don't even say if if I'm saying that right. Yeah, no, you are. uh, Mourinho, who's like the complete opposite. And that was a gong show. (laughs) And look at the, like, look at the shelf life of these managers, right? You got one guy who's been gone after almost, well, I think a year and a little bit or almost two years, or I don't know how long it was for, for Mourinho. And then you got a guy like Pep who's, who's signing, contract extension and here's the crazy thing about pep he didn't win every year that's the freaking crazy thing it's like wow you mean to tell me that people keep good people around with good character that's a mind blower that's insane (laughs) right so it's like it's human element man i think if people could just reduce it down to humans a little bit more than just high performance they get a lot more high performance out of the people they have with them Totally. Oh man. I love it. This was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on again, Matt. This is uh, this was a lot of fun. I got, I got like three pages of notes here, so I got some stuff to get through here too, but uh, we really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully, uh, hopefully better days ahead there up in Ontario and get out of the house a little bit more, um, but we appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll talk to you again at some point. Pretty soon. Thank you guys.